0: Happy Easter and welcome to the Erie First Podcast, the weekly message series featuring Pastor Nicole Schreiber. We're celebrating Resurrection Sunday. Easter reminds us that God has power over the grave, but sometimes in our day-to-day we forget that God has power over the graves we face in our own lives. Today, Pastor Nicole is joined by Pastor Quintlin Blad and Pastor Daniel Brooker, and together they're going to share a special message and look at three instances in the Bible where God turned a grave into a garden. We'll see how the love and power of God brings us hope for our lives today. So let's get started today.
1: It was Friday afternoon Jesus is dead. His brutalized body hanging without life on a cross dropped into a hole in the dirt. His executioners had dug the holes, prepared the place, and done their job with ruthless efficiency. This wasn't how it was supposed to be. The hope of mankind overcome by powers of hell, by the shadow of a knew what it was like to rule and reign on the earth. We were made to live in the light, in relationship, in purpose. We were made for more than what we've come to accept as normal. Ever since the garden Satan and his kingdom have been tightening their grip, darkness has ruled evil, chaos, suffering, hopelessness. We've been enslaved and crippled by the holes the enemy has been digging for us to. Killing the Messiah. The cross became a catalyst for salvation. The hole that was dug to hold an instrument of shame and death was instead filled with an instrument to bring healing and new life. That's the way God is. Nothing is impossible with Him. He's always restoring, always renewing, always able to take what was meant for evil and turn it for good, to take our graves and turn them into gardens. Why? Because He never gave up on His plan. He has never given up on us. He knows what we don't, that you can't have resurrection life without death, Jesus. He died so we can have lives of purpose and power over the grave. He is not dead. He is alive. And because he lives, we can live again.
2: Graves and gardens could not be more opposite images. Graves are places where bodies are buried in the ground because they're dead. It signifies an ending, a finality. In our culture, we put a stone that marks the location of the deceased person on top of the grave, and our lives are really represented by two dates and just a a dash in between. Maybe we inscribe a line or two of information that is supposed to sum up that person's entire life. Some people take it more seriously than others. He loved bacon. (laughs) Oh, and his wife and kids too. I was waiting for you guys to laugh about that. I'm like, is the picture on the screen? You can laugh on Easter, okay? Now gardens, on the other hand, are full of new and fresh life, very opposite of graves. Imagine daffodils bursting up from the ground, pink pink peonies mixed between them, and ivy climbing up the trellis on each wall of the garden. Bees buzzing through this magical place and tiny little ducklings waddling around. What comes to mind when you think about a garden, life, sustenance, potential, and hope. Both graves and gardens are mentioned in the scripture, and today we're going to look at three gardens in the Bible that ended up being graves. The first garden ever in history was called the Garden of Eden. Some called it paradise. It was bright. It was beautiful. The Garden of Eden was abundant. Nothing lacked. It was completely full of good, Genesis tells us that it contained an irrigated river and the trees were productive and good to eat. Eden is actually synonymous with a place of perfect beauty, tranquility, and flawless design. Interestingly, in the scripture, uh, the story says that God created the heavens and the earth. He created the sky and the fish and the wild animals and then finally mankind. But when God talks about the Garden of Eden, he doesn't use the same word as create. He uses a verb that means plant. So what this means is that God himself planted the Garden of Eden. He dug the holes, he put in the seeds, he took care of the crop, and then he watched it grow. He watched it grow into the garden of the Lord. He did the work for you and for me. He planted this garden. It was a very special place to God. In fact, many times in the scripture, it's called the garden of God or the garden of the Lord. Now, as many of you know the story, something awful happened in God's very special garden. With Satan's prompting, Eve became convinced that she needed to know good and evil. And so she felt compelled to eat of the fruit of a forbidden tree. And the enemy's deception greatly distorted Eve's perspective. And the God who generously provided this amazing garden, who planted it with his own hands, this God became uh, distorted in the eyes of Adam and Eve, and it made him look like a tight-fisted tyrant. It made him, them feel like he was saying, you can have everything but this, and that, in their rebellion, attracted them to that. And so Eve takes a bite of the apple, which was previously deemed off-limits, and then gives Adam a taste. And Adam and Eve, they make one mistake, and it costs them everything. Everything. Genesis 3.23 tells us what happened. So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. And in the Garden of Eden, in a moment, a garden full of joy and hope and potential, it became a grave. It became a grave of regret. One choice caused them to lose it all. And I can imagine Adam and Eve thinking, That apple didn't taste that good. If I could just go back, I would have listened. I would have done it differently. If I could just have that moment back, I wouldn't have done all of this. And I wonder this morning if you're here today and you've ever felt that way. Have you ever found yourself asking some of those same questions? How would my story be different if I just didn't do that one thing? How would my whole life have changed if I wouldn't have made that one mistake? You wish you could take some words back that you said. You wish that you could just have one do-over. Things would be so different. And that regret, that heavy, suffocating regret can become a grave in our life. Have you ever experienced a grave of regret?
3: There's another significant garden in the scripture called the Garden of Gethsemane. It was a place well-known to the disciples of Jesus. He brought them there often. It was a common meeting place for them, and it still stands today in Jerusalem. This garden is full of olive trees, and the word Gethsemane actually means olive press. It was a place where olives from the neighborhood were crushed for their oil. This garden was actually prophetically declaring the crushing of Jesus, the Son of God, and the crucifixion that would soon begin. In Mark chapter 14, we read how Jesus ate a Passover meal with his disciples. It was late at night, and when they finished their meal, they sang a hymn, and then they went out to this garden. Jesus left eight of his disciples at the edge of the garden. Judas was not with them at this time. And then he took Peter, James, and John deeper into the darkness, and he was now in great, great agony. Mark 14, 34, Jesus says, "'My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death.'" And he said to them, just stay here and keep watch. And even though Jesus was deeply distressed, he completely submitted himself to his Father's will. He was determined to endure the cross and fully submit to God's redemptive plan. Jesus came back to check on his friends, and three times they were not watching, they were not praying, they were sleeping. And then Judas Iscariot, in perhaps the saddest moment in all of the scriptures, comes in, and he had walked with Jesus just as all the other disciples had. He knew him well, but just as was prophesied in the book of Zechariah, he betrayed Jesus. There was no doubt to Judas that Jesus was the Christ, but he betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which is not a lot of money in Hebrew culture. He comes into the garden. He calls out, Rabbi, Rabbi, and he kisses Jesus' face And this kiss signals to the mob who he is and to come and arrest Jesus. Mark 14.50, as they arrest him, concludes saying this, Then everyone deserted him and fled. All of his closest friends, the men that Jesus had done his life with, scattered and ran for their own safety. Not one stayed behind with Jesus. The king of kings was left to suffer alone. That night, the Garden of Gethsemane turned into a grave of betrayal. Maybe you have felt abandoned, hurt, or cast out from people that you love. Maybe you have have felt that deep betrayal. And maybe you know it well and you can identify with Jesus on some level in this story, although we will never identify fully to the level that he knew betrayal. But have you ever been cheated or blindsided? Have you ever been left to fend for yourself? This night, this garden turned into a grave, and it was the beginning of the greatest injustice ever committed.
4: And so we talk about those two first gardens there that turned into graves, and it leads us to this third garden in scripture today. And that's the garden of Golgotha. Now, I don't think we normally think of it as a garden, but it is. And it sees after Jesus was betrayed by, Ju- betrayed by Ju- Judas. He was betrayed, and he was bound, and he was given over to the Pontius Pilate. And that's where we, many of us are familiar with the story of where he was beaten. He was struck. He was stripped of his clothes, and then finally he was placed on that cross. And according to Matthew 27, 33, his crucifixion took place on a hill called Golgotha. And as we look at this, that meaning is the place of the skull. And as that time, there was a rocky hill that directly faced a garden, So as we think of that hill, it directly faced a garden that was there, and it was near the main gate to the city. It was towards the main gate of the city, and the rocks even themselves were indented in such a way that if you see pictures of them, they kind of resemble a skull. And so this is the place where they took Jesus, and Jesus suffered enormous, immeasurable amounts of pain and suffering and agony on the cross. We read in Mark 15 that it says, the scripture recorded the final moments of Jesus' life as he cried out there in that moment, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You see, God judged our sin in the body of his son. And for the first time there, Jesus felt the separation of sin that sin has caused. His fellowship with Jesus or with his father had turned because his father had turned away being unable to gaze upon his son because of the sin that was placed upon Jesus. And this was the first time, this moment was completely foreign. That's kind of hard for us maybe even to fathom, is that this was completely foreign to Jesus to be separated from his Father and had never had this moment where in his eternal existence where he couldn't have that fellowship. You see, Jesus bore our sin, your sin, my sin, and became sin for all of us. He endured a time of separation, and he endured this time where he lost that separation of fellowship with his father. John nineteen forty one says this, at the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. So Jesus now has been crucified. He suffered. He went through this agonizing, terrible, tremendous way to die, and then his last breath was taken. And he was taken down from the cross. And typically in these times, when someone was taken down from, when someone was died, there's this huge uh, family gathering where they honor them, but not with criminals. With criminals, no, there's no honor. They were thrown into the city dump, no honor, no burial, no grieving, But we read in the scriptures here that there was a few secret followers of Christ named Joseph and Nicodemus. And they asked the governor, Pontius Pilate, and said, can we please have Jesus' body? And right there, that's a miracle in itself because Pontius Pilate said yes. Pontius Pilate said yes, and he granted the request, which was not custom. So they took his body, they wrapped it in linen and spices, and laid his body in an unoccupied tomb in the garden of Golgotha. Now, here Again, the picture that most of us probably think of when it comes to Resurrection Sunday or Easter Sunday is this, that there at the mouth of the tomb, there was a boulder, and they closed it off with this. And at that time, there was grave robbers, and the priest, and everyone was worried, saying, hey, he claimed he was going to rise in three days. Can you block this off? And so they took this. In order to stop this behavior, guards were sent to watch the tomb through the night. They sealed it, and there was no grave that felt more final than death. There's no grave that feels more final than death. Joseph, Nicodemus, the women at the cross there, they witnessed and watched from a distance as he was crushed, as he was broken, as their hearts were devastated. Because Jesus, the one they loved, was now dead. You see, on that day, Christ was crucified. The Garden of Golgotha transformed into this grave of death. So the Garden of Golgotha now has become this grave of death to them. And death feels like the grave of finality. It feels like this grave of the ending. It feels like there's nothing more after this. And so today we kind of ask, have you experienced this experience of death or pain? Have you faced the death of someone or something that you love so much?
2: Three gardens turned into three graves. All of these gardens were connected. Without Adam's sin in the Garden of Eden, there would be no reason for Jesus to agonize in the Garden of Gethsemane. And and without Jesus' act of sacrifice and love for us on the cross, the tomb in the Garden of Golgotha would not even have been used at all. So the grave of regret, the grave of betrayal, and the grave of death would not stay that way for very long because the ending was about to be a beginning again. All the graves were about to become gardens. Let's read in Mark 16. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. And as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You're looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. But he has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And Jesus, the spotless and sinless lamb of God bore the sins of the world and endured the wrath of God upon himself as he hung on this cross and his death satisfied God's justice. But that wasn't the end of the plan. Three days later, in fulfillment of his promise, Jesus victoriously rose from the grave, demonstrating his power over sin and death and guaranteeing our hope of eternal life with him. He is not here, he is risen. C.S. Lewis said this, Easter is death working backwards. Jesus overcame the grave. Jesus overcame all the graves. He turned them all into gardens. The grave of regret can become a garden of hope because God gets the last word. Your best days are ahead of you. Jesus wants to break the curse of regret in your life.
3: And that grave of betrayal can become a garden of forgiveness in your life even if people have walked out on you people who said that they would stay people who said that they would be with you even if you are alone and wounded jesus can help you to forgive and he can heal your broken heart yes
4: and then that grave of finality. That could become a garden of new life. You see, this is not the end of the story. That's what we get to, to celebrate today, that this is not the end if you are a believer in Jesus. See, that there is being a city being built for you and for I, and being built for us to spend eternity with God forever. So if God can resurrect a body, what can he resurrect in your life? What is it that you feel like is dead? What can he bring back to life for you? So... Ask yourself that question today what is dead that needs new life that needs a new breath somebody today needs to hear this that it's not over that it's not dead that there's still hope and it's not based on your passion or your strength but it's because turn to Jesus he's for you God can turn our graves into gardens
2: whatever grave you're walking through whatever grave you're walking through this morning. Maybe it's betrayal, maybe it's unforgiveness, maybe it's pain or hurt or death. He is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above
4: all you can ask or. Yes. So we get to today to be excited. Are you guys excited today? We get to be excited that his name is Jesus Christ, that he is the resurrected Savior, that he is the Son of the living God, the fairest of ten thousands, the bright and morning star. He is the Lion of Judah, and he is the soon and coming King. Let's worship. You turn morning to
5: dancing beauty for ashes you turn shame into glory It's better than you, there's nothing. Better than you, there's
3: nothing. Nothing is better than you. Just lift that up this morning. We're just going to stay right there. Oh, there's nothing. Oh,
2: Resurrection Sunday. I pray the rest of your day is blessed and full of God's joy and hope. Have an incredible week. We'll see you next Sunday.
0: Thank you for listening to the Erie First Podcast. If you like this podcast, please give us a rating and a review at Apple Podcasts and share it with your friends. You can find all our series videos and podcasts at eriefirst.org, along with all our latest news, announcements, and information. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time.